glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You know, you, you either are a missionary or you need one. And I, I at one time needed one, and God gracefully saw fit to send people to me, give me the truth. And now I want to be one and uh, tell others the truth. And so uh, I hope that this week has challenged your heart uh, to do that. Now let me say this to you. Tonight um, we're going to be uh, preaching what I, I had something else on my heart. And uh, yesterday, while I was here preaching, God just let that drain out. It's not what I'm preaching tonight. And I didn't know what I was going to preach. I was almost in a panic, not knowing what to preach. Uh, But in the middle of the night, God spoke to my heart about something, and that's what I'm going to preach tonight. And uh, But tomorrow, I'm going to challenge you to invite someone to come. Invite someone to be here. Invite a lost person to be here. Uh, and, and I promise you I'll preach on Calvary. I'll preach on the cross, and hopefully we'll see somebody saved. Amen? Or, or at least someone fall under conviction and get get in that way. And so if you would, try to bring somebody uh, to the house of the Lord uh, tomorrow. Amen? Would you pray about that and, and try to go home tonight and invite someone uh, to come to the house of God? Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to come and be here tonight. Thank you for the word of God which speaks to our hearts and helps us. We pray, God, that you would hide me behind the cross and use me tonight. Uh, I'm not worthy to even be standing here, and I pray, God, that you would help us uh, not to be seen tonight, but that your word is seen. And uh, not only do we hear the words, but we become doers of the word. And Lord, our hearts are, are pricked about the truth and that we we repent and come to the truth and uh, and begin to live for you. And I pray, God, that you would help this whole church tonight uh, to see something beyond themselves and something beyond what this church uh, thinks they're capable of doing and lets you have the reins and, and you do the work through them. And I pray we become willing laborers in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We talked about uh, this this church becoming stronger. Even though it's a strong church and a good church, there's always room for us to become stronger. And the Lord, all of us, no matter how long we're saved, we, we can become stronger for God. And so we looked at uh, the first night, Thursday night, we looked at getting a fresh glimpse of the Savior 
and how that the the holiness of God that's already in us, we already have it. He he saved us and moved in, and he's there, and that's the only way we're holy is that he has sanctified us, set us aside, and he lives in us. So we can, we can not only can we desire that hunger and thirst for it, but we, we can have it. And so we want that. And then we looked last night, we looked at the, the value of a soul. Uh, what would we give in exchange for someone else's soul? How, how, what, how much of ourselves would we give? Uh, would we be like that young boy that came up and said, I don't have any money and stood in the offering plate? I give myself. And that's all I can give. That's the most I can give. And that's what God wants is us. He wants us burdened and broken uh, for lost souls. And so we need to see the value of a soul and, and how wonderful that is to see someone saved and, and their lives changed and them become productive in the work. Uh, I was talking to Brother Jeff and Brother Jim when I first got saved. We started a bus route and we saw kids get saved and we saw parents get saved and, and some of those parents I've talked to and still serving the Lord and, and, and you know, a visitation has changed through the years. It's kind of different than it was when I first got saved and was visiting, but he still said go. And, and the possibility there is somebody being saved is still just as strong as it ever was. And so we won't see them saved if we don't get broken for them and go. And tonight we want to look at something uh, similar to that, uh, but we want to we want to look at this. Let's let's turn our Bibles, if we would, to Numbers chapter four. Numbers chapter four. Again, we're going to use an Old Testament picture. Numbers chapter four. I don't know how much your pastor's done on preaching on the tabernacle, but it's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Uh, it's nothing mystic. It really happened. And it was really a picture, God told us it was a picture of His Son and, and, and Him dwelling with us. Uh, now He don't dwell with us, now He dwells in us. Uh, and, uh, and so, but we see this picture in the Old Testament. I want to share this with you tonight on, on some truths here. Now, we want to look at tonight on reshouldering the burden. Reshouldering the burden. Okay? We look in Numbers chapter 4. Now, we need to remember something. It was God's plan for the tabernacle. He told them how to build it. He had a specific plan and a specific way it was to be built, and you could not change that. You couldn't do it your way. Had to do it His way. Now, Not only how to build it, but how to move it. And that's what we're going to look at this today is how they moved the tabernacle. Have you ever thought about that? How did they move that big? That was not a small footprint. Amen. I mean, you're talking about a million people and you're talking about this huge undertaking of moving this tabernacle. God had a plan. And he gave them the plan on how to move it, okay? And so we're going to look at Numbers chapter 4. We want to look, first of all, we want to look at the people that were involved. The people that were involved. Levi had three sons. And God used the people of his three sons to move the tabernacle. And so we're going to look at that in Numbers chapter 4. If you're there, 
Look in verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Take the sum of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi. So the first son that we're going to look at for just a minute is Kohath. After their families, by the house of their fathers, from 30 years old and upward, even until 50 years old, all that enter into the host, to listen to this, to do the work in the tabernacle of the congregation. This shall be the service of the sons of Kohath, or Kohath, in the tabernacle of the congregation, about the most holy things. And when the camp setteth forward, can, can I say something here? Every work of God is to be a forward work. Amen. Not a stalled out work, not a failing work, not a backward work, but a forward work. And so he said when the tabernacle moved forward, the tabernacle never went backwards. Amen. It always went forward. Okay, and he said when the, when the tabernacle setteth forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Now, I'm going to come back to him, but this is is Kohath. And Kohath, Kohath was responsible for the instruments, the vessels, and the furniture of the tabernacle. That's what he was responsible for. Okay? Now, we're going to move on to the second one. The second one's name was Gershon. Gershon was, was responsible for the hangings and the coverings of the tabernacle. We look in verse number 21. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take also the sum of the sons of Gershon throughout the house, uh, houses of their fathers by their families. From thirty years old and upward until fifty years old, thou shalt number them. Now listen to this. All that enter in to perform the service. To do the work in the tabernacle of the congregation, this is the service of the families of the Gershonites to serve and for burdens. They were going to bear a burden. All three of these sons were going to bear the burden of moving the tabernacle. Nobody else was to be involved. It was just these three sons and their families. They were to move the tabernacle. Now, this is a daunting task. Imagine taking this building down every day uh, or, or every time God said to move it and move it somewhere. Uh, what if God said, no, when we're going to start a church in Troy, it's going to tear this one down every week and move it over there and set it back up. It's almost the same thing. This was a, a construction, a, a tearing down and a putting back up of of a massive work. And so God said, this is what you're going to do. So these, these, the, the sons of, uh, of Gershon, the families of Gershon's, uh, Gershon was, was responsible for the hangings and the coverings. And we look at the third one. Now I had a hard time saying this name, but I looked it up. And if it's wrong, uh, you can blame the person I looked it up with. It's Marerai. That's how you say it. Marerai. That's, that's what we're going to go with because I'm preaching. <laughs> and they were responsible for the boards and the structure. The, the heftiest, heaviest part of the whole tabernacle they were responsible for. 
Now listen to this, Numbers chapter 4, verse 29. The Bible says, And for the sons of uh, Merari, thou shalt number them after their families, the house of their fathers, from 30 years old upward uh, unto 50 years old, shalt thou number them, every one that entereth into the service to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. And this is the charge of their burden according to all the service in the tabernacle of the congregation. So we got it set. We know that the sons of Levi and their family, so we're talking about thousands of people. We're not talking about a couple of guys. We're talking about thousands of people that gathered in and they were responsible for certain parts of the work. Amen? Now I'm going to tell you something. Everybody here is not responsible for the preaching of the Word of God and pastoring this church. You have one man that does that. And that, that man is Pastor Nevin Neal. But there are families in this church that are responsible for certain things, and that is their burden to do. That is your burden to do. Your pastor shouldn't have to do that. Someone else shouldn't have to do that. That should be your responsibility. If I have a responsibility and I'm not able to keep that responsibility, I make sure someone is in my place to do that responsibility. I didn't leave Lighthouse Baptist Church and say, you guys find yourself a preacher on Sunday. My crew knew months ago that I would be gone. I've been telling them months ago that I will be gone and Mike will be preaching. I have responsibilities and I take that serious. And that is my burden to do. So you see, the people had a burden. And that burden was to carry this load. And to be there when it's time to be there. And to make sure the job gets done. If God said move the tabernacle, He didn't take sick days. He didn't accept a sick day from you. You were to be ready for the burden. Amen? Secondly, we want to look at the problem that was at large. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many here would agree with me by a show of hands that you want this church to continue to go forward? How many of you want that? Everybody in the whole house. Okay? How, okay. Since we agree that God's church uh, is under the burden of being a strong work, uh, that's accomplishing going forward and forward progress for the glory of God, since we agree with that, do we desire to see the work of God, His presence here, His power here, and progress for this church? Do we agree that that's, that's what we want? That's what these people wanted. They wanted to see it when, when, when God said it's time to move, they were looking up the road for when it got set up again. They wanted forward progress. Hey, we're moving. <laughs> Let's move. Let's do this right. Let's do it the way it's supposed to be done. And they were excited about it. And they did their part. Amen? No one has a right and uh, uh, to say that we want this work to stop. No one who is right with God wants the work to stop. No one that is right with God wants there to be problems in the church. No one that is right with God wants there to be any hiccups at all. They want it to run like, like it's supposed to run. 
And I hate to use this word because it really was a spiritual work. I hate to use this word, but it ran like a machine. These people knew exactly their jobs and they did their jobs. Amen. Now, your pastor and I haven't talked about any of you. He hasn't said there's a problem in this church or somebody's not doing their job. So I'm listening to God tonight, not Nevin Neal. Amen? And I'm not pointing out that anyone's not doing their job. We're pointing out that it's our responsibility to make sure that that continues to happen. And that's what makes a strong church. Amen? It's not the amount of shouting we do. It's not the amount of uh, of rejoicing that we do. It's the work that we do. It's the shoulders that we have that we are carrying the load. Amen? Now, we, we need to have some joy in that. Uh, but there's nothing like the joy of investing in something and seeing it come to fruition. Amen. And so we agree that that this thing is worth having. Now, I'm going to make a statement that I make to my church often. If you stop coming to Sunday school class, you're putting your vote in, you want it to stop. You stop coming to Sunday night, you're putting your vote in, you don't think it's necessary. You stop coming to Wednesday nights and revival meetings. You're just saying, I don't feel that's necessary for me and my family. And you have laid your load down. Amen? I, you can, my wife is sitting here, not that I would lie to you, but she's sitting here and she'll tell you, I tell my church that often and it gets quiet. But it's the truth. If I just didn't show up one Sunday, I'd say the preaching is not important. But it's important. This work is important. The work at Lighthouse is important. And it's important. And so the problem at hand is the job has to be done. It has to be done. It will get done. Amen. So everyone here knows what we're supposed to be doing. Everyone here knows what you're supposed to be doing. Whether you admit it or not, you know what you're supposed to be doing. And whether we're doing that or not, it's between us and God. It's just a matter of whether you do it or not. All right. Thirdly, aren't we moving through this quite quickly? But it's going to get slow right here. The priority. We saw the people, the problem. I told Brother Nevin I never alliterate, but I did this time a little. The priority of the of the burden. Turn to number seven. This is amazing how God knows what we need. Numbers chapter seven. Now, God gave them the plan for the tabernacle, how to build it. He gave them the plan on how to take it apart and move it. Numbers chapter 7 is the first time they ever set it up. Okay? Look at Numbers chapter 7 verse 1. came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it. There's that word. It's holy. All the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, 
holy, that the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes and were over them that were numbered, offered. The princes came, the heads of of each tribe, 12 of them, came and they made an offering to the tabernacle. You got that? And they brought their offering before the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. That don't mean Allah. Six covered wagons and twelve oxen. A wagon for two of the princes and for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Take it of them. (laughs) I heard a man say, I wonder, I I, I read this, a man said, Moses might say, what am I going to do with six wagons and twelve yoke of oxen? God said, take it. (laughs) Take them. That they may be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation and thou shalt give unto them to the Levites to every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Now, now here, here's what's happened. They have received a gift. God said, I want you to carry this burden. And when he first told them in chapter 4, the Gershonites might have been sitting there saying, those things are heavy. And especially... Marerai's bunch. They got to take down all these gold-covered boards and sockets and and uh, and the construction. And they're saying we're going to carry this across the desert. God said, "I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you six wagons and twelve yoke of oxen to do the work." You know, there's some places in the ministry that God gives us gifts. That makes it easier to do the job. Amen? And so then he tells them how they're supposed to use them. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon. According to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari. According unto their service. Under the hand of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest. Now listen to this. There's Gershon and Merari, they got wagons. But listen to this. But unto the sons of Kohath, he gave none. Because the service of the sanctuary belonging to them was that they should bear it upon their shoulders. There's some things you can't carry in a wagon. There's some things that have to be carried on your shoulders. Amen? That we are directly responsible for. We're going to look at that tonight for just a second. God gives us some things to bear. He gives us gifts to bear. Not sign gifts. He gives us gifts um, in the church, people, different people to do different things, some technology, things like that. He gives us to make the job easier. Some things have to be done exactly like the Bible says for them to be done. And it's our job to bear that burden. We don't have permission to change them. Amen? That's our burden. And so 
So we want to look for just a minute at those things. It gave nothing to, to the sons of Kohath, um, and, and, and it was because of what they were carrying. They weren't carrying coverings and boards. They were carrying the furniture, the sanctified furniture of the tabernacle, deep in meaning. And what they were carrying made the difference. Without those pieces of furniture, it was just a building. But with those pieces of furniture, God made it a holy place. Amen? There's a similarity there in our responsibility to the church. Amen? I'm going to share it with you, okay? And so there's there's some simple things that we can do, and there's some things that we can simply use the wagon, but there's other times we must just shoulder the burden. Now, Numbers chapter 4, verse number 4. This shall be the service, the sons of Kohath, in the tabernacle of the congregation about the most holy things. That tells us that these articles were counted by God as the most holy things. There are some things, listen to me, I know this world don't see it. I know this uh, new evangelical movement don't see it. But there are some things to God that are still holy. That, that are to be left alone and not to change. And it's our responsibility to carry them. I was talking to Brother Neil. Uh, for a lot of years I didn't realize that the Mesorite Jewish people that kept those texts, they're my heroes. I look at those men, how they knew that that was a holy thing. And they kept those, and they kept those, and they kept those, and they guarded those, and they looked after those that when it came time to translate the Bible, we had it because they kept it. And there are some things that we need to keep. And it's, it's not just the pastor. He, he could get called somewhere else. It's this church that needs to shoulder that burden. Let's look at it. The first article that's mentioned here is the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Testimony is called. Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 4. And when the camp setteth forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the Ark of Testimony with it, and shall put therein the covering of badger skins, and shall spread over it cloth, holy of blue, and shall put it Put in the staves thereof. Now, right there, God tells them, this is how you carry the Ark of the Covenant. There's no other way to carry the Ark of the Covenant. This is it. Now, I don't want any, I don't want it carried any other way. Now, I want you to understand something as you see this. If the high priest was the only one allowed in the Holy of Holies, in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, and he was, how were they going to move that without them seeing it? They took the veil down from this side and they covered it and they never saw it and they never touched it. It was a holy, holy thing. What does that tabernacle, what does that Ark of the Covenant stand for? The presence of God. The holiness of God. God with us. That was to be protected. 
that was to be looked after and moved a certain way and 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 carried on the shoulders of those men that were charged to carry the and carried the right way. We need to handle that the right way. I'm going to tell you something. The presence of God is not on a movie screen seven verses 70 times waving our hands in the air. That's not the presence of God. There is a certain way that God shows up. And we're to protect that. This is to be a holy, reverent place. A sanctuary. Where we count the presence of God a holy thing. There, there are places I've been where they didn't feel like God showed up unless 15 people were shouting and they were throwing songbooks in the air and swinging from the chandeliers. And we come from a place where people would walk the tops of the pews and that was the presence of God. That's not the presence of God. The time that I've seen God move, it, it was a holy hush come across the building and God was there and people were afraid to move because He was present. And every time that happened, it was because the man of God took the Word of God seriously and preached it in a serious manner. Soberly and rightly. And the church desired the presence of God because they knew that's when things would happen. And so we see that this was a way that this was to be carried. This is the way that this... Listen, we didn't come here tonight to sew quilts and pick huckleberries. We came here to meet around the things of God. It's a holy place. And we should treat it as holy. And so and so there was a way that he said to carry that. He never allowed them to carry it any other way. We know in 2 Samuel chapter 6 when David uh, took the ark from Abinadab's house, uh, they put it on a new cart. Did God ever tell them to put it on a new cart? And when they put it on the new cart, they had one man walking in front and then Uzzah was walking in the back and they were pulling it with oxen, which God never told them to do. Those oxen were to pull the wagons for someone else's family, not for this family. And when that thing shook and started to fall, he touched it and God killed him right where he lay. Then David took it to Obed-Edom's house and, and left it there. And when God began to bless Obed-Edom, you can read it, Second Samuel, he goes back and this time he carries it the right way. He said, when the men that bear the ark, there was rejoicing in Jerusalem when it came back in. wasn't death that time. God wants it moved a certain way. God wants it handled a certain way. And we don't have permission to handle it any other way. Secondly was the table of showbread. That was an article that was to be carried by staves and carried a certain way. It was also to be covered. Before it was, before it was handled, it was to be covered and treated as the anointed thing that it was. What what was that table of showbread? We find that in verses 7 and 8. You can read it. The, the table of showbread represents the communion that the priests, those priests had with God. It represents, after we're saved, the communion that we have 
with Him. He has set us a table that we can commune with Him anytime. And that table was made a certain way. That was a wooden table, but it was covered in gold. And it stood for the, both the humanity and the deity of Christ. On that table was two crowns. Two crowns. There was an out, outer crown, and then there was an inner crown. And that stood for the crown of thorns that he had, and the crown of glory. And that stood for our eternal security. You know what they put in that, in that groove around those crowns? They put the utensils in there. The things that they handled that bread with, they put in there and they couldn't fall off. I, I'm saved forevermore. I can't, I can't go to hell. <laughs> and that table of showbread tells me, tells me I'm in constant communion with Him and those priests could come in there and eat anytime. And, and it was called, right here in this scripture, it was called the continual bread. You know what happened every morning? New bread. Every morning it was fresh. It was made fresh every day for them. And, and listen to me, we have that in Christ Jesus. That continual, that's to be handled a certain way. Holy. God wants us to know that we're here to feed people. We're here to feed them the Word of God. The Word of God is to be taken serious. It ought to be taken serious by you. It ought to be taken serious by the pastor. It ought to be taken serious by the church. That's the reason that we're here. We're not here to have a singing. Singing's good. I loved all the singing that took place this week. But the most important thing that goes on here is the handling of the bread. That bread was to feed them. The Bible says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's that abundant life that we have coming into the presence of God and eating and feasting, communing with the Lord. It was always available. It was always within reach. Not only did it sustain us, amen, but it it, it gave us life. The third thing that we find is the golden candlestick. Numbers chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 tells us it's called the candlestick of light. That candlestick signifies Christ as the light of the world. You notice that Christ called himself the bread of life. He also called himself the light of the world. John the Baptist called him the light of the world. You know what that candlestick shine light on first and foremost? The candlestick. And that's a representation of Christ. How does it represent Christ? It was of one beaten work, finished. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He filled full the law took His blood, put it on the mercy seat for you and I, and sat down on the right hand of the Father as a finished work. Had seven branches complete. Had oil put in that lamp. And that lamp, that oil that was in that lamp was a pure oil. A pure olive oil. Fresh olive oil was put in that. And that's a type of the Holy Spirit. And that lit that those lights. And those lights lit 
uh, with that oil coming through that, listen to me, Jesus stood and showed them that illustration in Jerusalem and said, out of my belly, <laughs> rivers shall flow. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he dwells in us. And that type of Christ dwelling in us, that type of holiness we have from that light. Secondly, that light not only shone on the candlestick, but it but when that light was lit, the inside of that tabernacle was golden boards, which is a type of the saint. Wooden on the inside, gold on the outside because we've been born again, sitting in sockets of silver, which stands for redemption, tied together with a silver rod. Brother, I didn't know you till this week, but we're tied together with a silver rod. Redemption. And that light, those boards weren't lit. The candle was lit. But those boards reflected that light. Can you imagine? Now, I'm, I might get a little happy right here. Can you imagine being in there and that light being lit and that reflection? And how beautiful that must have been. Can I give you a little truth? Does anybody know what the floor was made of? Dirt. Some people come in and that's all they want to see is dirt. Had to look up to see what was beautiful. What was beautiful was that light shining and reflecting you know, this world needs to see Jesus. And the only way they can see it is if we reflect that light. We don't have a light of our own. We just have Him in us. And what a picture that was. And that's to be treated seriously. People who say they're saved and they live like the devil are not reflecting that light. They're bringing a bad light on the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone that says they're saved can't go to bars and drink. Someone that says they're saved cannot disgrace the church. They'll live like God wants them to live and reflect that light. That candlestick was to be shown as a beacon of light in there. It also reflects the church and signifies the church and how the church um, is to carry that light and to make sure that others see it. Fourthly was the golden altar of incense. That's found in verse 11, the golden altar. This golden altar of incense was built four square and it stood at right before the, the, uh, the veil. Behind the veil was the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant stood behind that. But right here was this ark Golden ark, golden ark, uh, or, or not ark, but a, a altar of incense. Now, th- there was blood put on that, but only one time a year, and it was put on the horns of that altar. Every other day, a hot coal off of the uh, brazen altar where the sacrifice was made was brought in there and put on that, and the smoke that came off of that along with that incense would fall down and go under that veil into the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. 
And it stood for Christ making intercession for us. Amen? He makes intercession for us. How does He make intercession for us? Death, burial, resurrection. But it didn't stop there. He ascended. He ascended up into heaven and sat down on the right hand of God. And now the Bible says He makes intercession for us. His presence makes it possible for us to be saved. He put His blood on the mercy seat. He's the one that made the sacrifice. And now we see Him there and He's making intercession for us. And we can pray. Also stands for the prayers of the saints going into the presence of God. How? Through Christ Jesus. Through that sacrifice that was made for us. You know who we pray to? God the Father. You know who we pray through? The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mediator. And so we see that as a mediator between us and the presence of God. And so that's to be taken holy. Prayer life is to be taken holy. Nobody's going to be saved we don't pray for them. You ever wonder how wicked people live so long? Somebody might be praying for them. Somebody might be begging God to let them live long enough that they hear the gospel and be saved. Somebody that's really getting a hold of God. And so we see that truth there in that article. And then we see the brazen altar. Outside of in the what was called the the whole of the thing was called the sanctuary. The holy of the holy place was where the showbread and the candle and the altar of incense and then the holy of holies. But outside of that, right inside the first gate, going into the tabernacle, was an, a, a brazen altar. That brazen altar, and that's you can find that in, in verses 12 through 15, and he includes in that all the utensils and everything that goes with that. But in that, uh, in that brazen altar is a picture of Calvary. You say, how is it a picture of Calvary? The sacrifice was killed at the gate. A person would put their hands, I think you mentioned that, would put their hands on the on the on that animal and as a symbol of transferring their sin to that animal. That animal's life was taken. And listen to me. A a sacrifice was not a little pretty thing. That animal's throat was cut while it was alive. It bled out. It was skinned and then cut into portions and put on that altar. It was a bloody thing. And that was a sacrifice for that person. Now that animal could not save him. God never intended for that animal to save him. But it was a picture of the Lamb of God that would come and take away the sins of the world. You know what Jesus said when he was here? It's amazing. Isn't it amazing? He said, I am the way. How's he the way? The only way you could get into the Holy of Holies was by that brazen altar. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You can't get to the Father unless you go by Calvary. It's a picture of that. It was a gruesome thing, a bloody thing. But it showed the love that God had for us. It was grace. God gave them grace in the Old Testament. 
to have a way to, to, to His presence. And that was by that brazen altar. Amen? That brazen altar was four square. That brazen altar had four horns. One man said, north, east, west, and south, news. It was a picture of grace. God gave us the grace to get to Him. I'm not saved because I'm good. I'm saved because God's good. (laughs) I'm saved because He loved me and gave me His Son. And this is included, I've wondered about this, I wondered why the labor wasn't mentioned here. Have you ever wondered that? I, I looked at it and I wondered. I read after guys and they just ignore it. But I, but I got to look and, and, and if you look at this, it says all the vessels of the sanctuary. So it is included. And it's piece of the furniture and it was to be carried in the same manner. And that laver is a picture of the Word of God. It was made from the mirrors of the women And it was filled with water. And those priests that had killed sacrifices all day long, covered in blood, before they could go into the holy place to get some bread and see the light, they had to wash. And it's a picture of what Ephesians chapter 5 tells us. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. It's a picture of the word of God. God said if you want to be clean to serve, wash yourself in the water of the word. You said the other night, how do we apply this? By the washing of the water of the word. How does a young man cleanse his way? How how do we get clean so that we can serve, that we can even shoulder the burden? These guys could not serve unless they washed. Don't tell me they didn't take the labor. They took the labor. Can I give you something? How many labors was in there? Was there three or four? And they say, you pick the one you like. We just have one Bible. God never made it optional. He said, this is the word. And if, if we don't serve a God big enough to inspire and then preserve His word for us, how could we believe Him? One. One that stood right there in the way. Our Bibles are with us every day. We, some of us have, I counted the other day, I'm ashamed of this. Well, I ain't really ashamed, but I've got... Twelve Bibles. I've, I've kept every one I've ever had. Some of them are wore plumb out. Some of them's got so many notes in them I can't read the Bible without seeing the notes. I've given some to my grandkids. The first one that gets called to preach is getting the one's got the most notes in it. I I have the Word of God before me, and I ought to wash in it every day. Keep myself clean enough that God will use me, preacher. I'm nobody. I can't even speak English good. I mean, seriously, I know my limitations. I I know that. I was, I was born in the South and I lived it to the fullest. 
I didn't care anything about English anyway. We just talked country. Everybody In the South, everybody understands me. So I didn't have to dress it up. But for God to use me, somebody barely graduated high school, somebody lived so hard for the devil, was never around church, never around church people. When I was 17 years old, I met a, my mother wanted me to meet this girl, this little dark-headed girl in a, in a store that she worked in. And I went over there to meet her, and I met a little blonde-headed girl in the front, and I never met the other girl. She got saved when we were 18. And I saw a change in her life. She married me wrong and I pulled her back out of being discipled. But when I was 29 years old, I got born again. And I called her on the phone at midnight, Friday night, and I said, I'm not sure what all happened to me, but we're going to church on Sunday. And I'm pretty sure she passed out because it was never my idea to go to church. And from that day, God changed my life. And he said... One month later in a mission conference, Brother Richard Johnson, a little bitty short preacher, little skinny, I mean, he looked like he was from Ethiopia, blonde-headed. And this is what he stood at. He preached out of Matthew chapter 9. And when he got to that part about sheep having no shepherd, God called this old ex-long-haired hippie to, to preach. And I thought to myself, this guy's going to New York City and start knocking doors. They'll kill him. Did you know he's still there today on his fifth church? And all five of them are still going. And he's still skinny and he's still little. Can I share something? He ran a bus route through the Bronx years ago. And he walked it. He walked through the Bronx, and knocked doors. One night he got too late, and it turned dark on him. And he was walking back through the Bronx, and a great big black man stepped in his path. And he said, I'm dead. He was reaching for his wallet, and the black man said, don't worry, preacher man. He said, do you know me? He said, you pick up my kids. And he said, I told everyone around here, if you bother the preacher man, you'll have to deal with me. You can walk through here any night during the night. You see why they didn't kill him? God used him. And from that day, God said, I want to use you. I didn't know how. Still don't know how. God said, I'll use you if you want to be used. Boys, you get a desire to want to be used of God. Young ladies, you get a desire to be used of God. He will use you. But he'll only use a clean vessel. How many of y'all would like to take a glass out of the cabinet that's got tomato and lettuce and meat in the bottom of it and get you a cool drink of water? You won't use that glass. You see what I'm saying? You won't use it. You'll set it aside. God wants you to use you, but He wants to use you clean. Don't mess your life up. Don't put things in your life that you can never change. 
Let God use you now while you can be used. Now listen, I'm through. It's up to us to shoulder the preaching of the gospel. Who's responsible for that? Is it the world? Thank God because they don't preach the gospel. They preach a gospel, but they don't preach the gospel. It's up to us. Right? We're to shoulder that. Who is it that's supposed to pray for sinners and saints? That's ours to shoulder. We're the Gershons and the Marires and the and the Kohaths. That's us. Amen? Who's to take care of the church? Who's to take care of the pastor? Who's to pay tithes? Are we supposed to go out and beg the world to, to pay the way? That's us. We bear that burden. Who's to... Who's to make sure we send missionaries across the world? You read Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It's us. It's us. We have a mission field and it's the whole world. What you did today in Troy is shouldering the burden. Don't stop. Don't quit. Be a strong church. Because this thing's going to get moved and it's going to go forward. But he wants you to help. And it don't matter. Listen to me. Some of you guys that's got a little gray around you. He didn't say when you get gray hair you get to quit. He didn't tell me because I'm now crippled in one side that I get to quit. Poor, I think about Brother Norris Ward. He limped around this world for many years. Hurt and so bad he couldn't stand it. I've seen him almost cry. Never stopped. Didn't stop. God didn't tell him, give him permission to stop. He told him to keep going. He realized that those staves are on his shoulders. Those staves are on my, Brother Jeff, Brother Jim, those staves are on our shoulders. And we teach our kids to put those same staves on their shoulders that we and they won't do it if they don't see it out of us. Reshouldering the burden. Maybe you're here tonight and you, you've, put, you've put your part down. Or you've counted yourself out. Or you, you don't think you're significant. Or you, you don't think you're part of the plan. That, that's just, Dr. Don, Dr. John McCormick used to say, that's just applesauce. It's not the truth. We are all part of it. Wouldn't it be good tonight if this whole church just gathered around the altar said, Lord, I'm not real sure what all you want me to do, but I'll sign a blank paper and whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. You show me clearly and I'll do that. That'll be my, that'll be my part in shouldering the burden. Maybe it's praying for the pastor. Maybe it's, maybe it's going after a sinner. Maybe it's, maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's another thing. Maybe it's several things. God lets you do more than one thing. But I'm ready to get under the stage and do my part. I want it to go forward. I vote for it to go forward. Not backwards. Not stall out. But to go forward. Is trouble going to come? They had trouble their whole time. 
They never stopped moving when God said to move. Amen. Now, I don't know what this meant to you, but it means a lot to me. It means a lot to me when I see people that care about the church, care about the things that God cares about. It means a lot to me. Fifteen people going to Troy on a Saturday. I, mean, I don't know if y'all like football or anything like that, but you, you left that and went to Troy. What you, you gave up that amount of time of your life to do something for God, that's shouldering the burden. I volunteer, God, for you to do something with me. Girls, I volunteer, God, for you to do something with me. You young men, whether you're called to preach, whether you're not called to preach, beg God to use you. Put me in. You ever heard C.L. Roach talk about how God makes arrows? Oh. Man goes out in the field and cuts an old crooked limb. If that, arrow, if that limb could talk, he'd be screaming, Oh, you cut me off my life source. He strips that, strips all the bark off of it. Oh, that hurts. Then he takes, then he takes and he puts it in a vice and he, and he stretches it where it goes straight. Then he cuts the ends off of it. Then he dips it in oil and he seasons it. Then he puts it in his quiver. And if that arrow could talk, when that archer goes out, he says, pick me. Use me. Would you be God's arrow? Would you let God pick you to do that task? Let's re-shoulder the burden. Get under the work and be stronger for God. Amen. Mm-hmm.